Amen. Hey, if you guys could stay up here for a minute. You guys want to stay? Um, so it's here. School has happened. Uh, so some of us started this past week. Some might start on, on this Monday. So, um, if, uh, so we're, we're going to do a, just a, a quick prayer of blessing for the, as, for the students as they head back to school. I'm going to stand down here. And then, actually, if you are um, of school age and uh, you're about to enter in, if you could just stand where you're at. You don't have to come forward, but just stand where you're at. And then also, teachers uh, and administrators, anyone sort of affiliated with any kind of, maybe you drive a bus, maybe you're a janitor, maybe you are a professor at a college. Like, yeah. So um, we'd love to, uh, everyone involved with education to the, uh, please stand at the moment. Um, so, are you guys excited to be back at school? Excited? Yeah? Okay. You guys, kindergarten, right here. Good. Awesome. So, let's, uh, so um, this is kind of a, a prayer and response, and so uh, if uh, you guys could pray along with me, that'd be great. So, God is the source of all wisdom and knowledge. Let us ask him to bless those who seek to learn and their teachers and administrators. For the students as they begin a new school year, that the Spirit of God may grant them the, uh, the gifts of wisdom and understanding. Let us pray to the Lord. Wisdom. For teachers, that they may share their knowledge with gentleness, patience, and concern for their students. Let us pray to the Lord. For administrators and support staff and all those involved with creating safe environments for these students. We ask the Lord for wisdom, discernment, and strength as they lead in their various capacities. Let us pray to the Lord. For parents, the first teachers of their children, that their faith and love may be an example to us always. Let us pray to the Lord. Let's pray. So, Lord God, your spirit of wisdom fills the earth and teaches us your ways. Look upon these students. Let them enjoy their learning and take delight in their new discoveries. Help them to per, uh, persevere in their studies and give them the desire to learn all things well. Look upon these teachers. Let them strive to share their knowledge with gentle patience and in, uh, endeavor always to bring the truth to eager minds. Grant that students and teachers alike may follow Jesus Christ, the way, the truth, and the life during this upcoming school year and beyond. Amen. Amen. All right. So, thanks. And now it is time for a Christian greeting. So please stand to greet one another. Sure. Yeah. Yeah, that's good.
right. Well, good morning and grace and peace be with each one of you. Whether this is your first time with us this morning or you've been here all of your days, welcome. It is your presence is means much here today. So school has in fact begun for many of us, and if not yet, probably tomorrow. So we're back to a fall rhythm, uh, back to a fall schedule for us as a church as well. There's some changes with Sunday school, you'll know in your weekly. Uh, but we'll have more on that uh, during the announcements. But, and also, the summer series practice has completed. Are we talking about practice? Remember that? Okay. Uh, it was brought to completion last week with John's message uh, about uh, alertness, watchfulness. Um, it, was, it was indeed a fun summer. And my favorite week was uh, two weeks ago when we got to hang out with our, our new friends up at Clear Creek, Clear Creek Meeting House. I think some pictures here. Um, yeah, just a, just a gift, a very rich experience in uh, experiencing this kind of way of being together on a Sunday morning, how they practice uh, their faith uh, on, on a Sunday in particular. So that was good. So today we return to the gospel lectionary text. And what a text to return to, <laughs> right? We've had this series, and then we had, I had some vacation days. And then I'm back, and it's like, I've come to bring fire on the earth. So, uh, Gail, I noted that you didn't use that this morning. <laughs> sure, I understand. <laughs> well, thank you. And then I asked Randall if he wanted to come up and preach this morning, <laughs> just off the cuff. <laughs> but, um, so... Uh, it's, it's, it indeed is an is a interesting text that we've, that we've been given today, uh, and it, it will be a gift to us, I believe. Um, but before we get to it, I want to kind of read a couple of passages uh, before we get there. So uh, this first one is Luke chapter 2. This is all found in, with the same author of, of Luke. Suddenly a great company of heavenly hosts appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth, what? Peace. Peace. All right, so next slide is, next slide. So, um, yeah, this is after a healing. Uh, uh, your faith has saved you. Jesus says to the woman, he says, go in peace. One chapter later, another healing happens. Daughter, your faith has healed you. And Jesus once again says, go in peace. Okay. And then Jesus, uh, the next slide there. Okay. When you enter, this is, when Jesus sends out the 72, he says to his disciples, when you enter a house, first say what? He says, peace to this house. Okay, next slide. While they were still talking about this, Jesus himself stood among them and said to them, peace be with you. This is post-resurrection. His first words to his disciples were, was peace. And then uh, even, we can go back to the Old Testament, Isaiah, next slide. For a child to us is born, uh, to us a son is given, and will govern. the government will be on his, his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, and what? Okay. And then we have our text this morning. Next. Do you think that I come to bring peace on earth? No, I tell you, but division. What? <laughs> uh, are you confused, Don? Uh, I'm like, Okay. So this is interesting. It's just an interesting uh, portion of Scripture, and I think it's important to understand the context of where it, where it comes. It's in Luke chapter 12, and we'll talk about that here in just a second. So um, 
So we're going to walk through this morning, verse by verse, maybe a couple verses at a time. And uh, as we walk through it, maybe a little context to help illuminate why, why Jesus, the meanie, shows up. Okay, the division person, right? So Jesus, or sorry, since the beginning of the chapter, uh, chapter 12, Jesus has been speaking to a mix of the disciples and to the crowds, and to the disciples and Pharisees and the crowds. So it's a, it's a wide range of people that he's interacting with in this one chapter of chapter 12. He speaks about warnings. Uh, in this chapter, he gives uh, the parable of the rich fool. He encourages us not to worry, to, to do not be afraid. And I believe, uh, believe last week's text, of, um, he speaks of watch, watchfulness. Okay? Uh, in 12.1, Jesus issued a warning uh, to uh, his disciples, beware of the yeast of the Pharisees. That is their hypocrisy, which is brought up again in our text this morning. So just in verse 49, we'll just start with, um, I've come to bring fire on the earth, and how I wish it were already kindled. Fire. Okay. This can call us back. So Luke chapter 3 Luke 3.16, John the Baptist says, I baptize you with water, but one who is more powerful than I will come and the straps of whose sandals I am not worthy to untie. He will baptize you with what? The Holy Spirit and fire. And fire, okay? So fire is often associated, uh, uh, sometimes other places in Scripture associated with judgment as well. But fire is also a method of purification, and empowerment, fire, okay? So, the, so fire both cleanses and condemns, and yet also empowers and can destroy. In the Gospel of Thomas, this is a, a, um, from an apocryphal writing, uh, whoever is near me is near fire. Whoever is distant from me is distant from the kingdom. So this fire thing is interesting. So it cleanses and condemns, empowers and destroys. And continuing on in our text in verse 50, but I have a baptism to undergo. With baptism here, water is called to mind. And what is water? Other, uh, it's, it's, it's simply another element like fire that can destroy like a flood or cleanse and purify. Water used to cleanse and purify. So both fire and water can be held as images of transformation. Both water and fire, transformation. I mean, can you think of anything that isn't affected by fire and water if fire and water interacts with it, right? Everything is affected in some way. Even like a small rock in water, or if water is running over the rock, it's going to break down eventually, right? Uh, it's affected, or uh, there's nothing that's not affected or transformed, transformed by fire and or water. And fire and water are both associated with the Holy Spirit, like in Luke 3 that we just read. And the business of the Holy Spirit is a catalyst towards transformation in the life of a disciple of Christ. Uh, Three chapters before chapter 12 and chapter 9, there's a story where James and John, they're with Jesus in a Samaritan village, and the Samaritan village would not, doesn't welcome them. And James and John turn to Jesus and say, Lord, 
Do you want us to call down fire from heaven and destroy them? This is three chapters earlier. And then Jesus says, I'm going to bring fire on. Wait. Jesus turned to them and rebuked them. Why does Jesus rebuke them? Given that three chapters later, he came to bring fire on earth. I think it's because, because fire without the goal of transformation is an idea to be rejected. Fire without the goal of transformation, that is fire strictly used for punishment, that's an idea that we can just, we don't have to buy into that. Jesus says that he will go, uh, that he has a baptism to undergo. Again, confusing to me. He was baptized in chapter 3. And here we are. There's another baptism that Jesus is to undergo. But what is this? I think the baptism that Jesus is referring to here is the one that he will, that he's referring to his death that will come. He will be raised on a cross and descend to death, right? Descend to the grave and be raised to new life. Jesus has this baptism to undergo, a baptism of destruction, and after that, resurrection. And it's because of that that transformation is possible. Transformation is possible. And we see this all around us. This is how life works. Okay? There's a pattern of death and resurrection. The question is, do we see it? Do we perceive it? I mean, death and resurrection doesn't happen just in April, in Eastern, uh, Easter time. Okay? Death and resurrection happens all of the time. Humanity has always known and experienced newness coming from and made possible through death and destruction of the old. Like in Romans 6, Paul says, we were buried therefore with him, in, uh, with him by baptism into death so that as Christ was raised up from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in what? The, the newness of life. The newness of life. So, um, just we're just going to continue to roll on here. Um, it, it, Jesus says, and what constraint I am under until it is completed. Constraint. Soon echo is the Greek here. And he wishes, and, and this also carries constraint, stress, anxiety. These can be translated this way as well. He wishes that it had already happened, that this earth was already kindled. As the time approaches for his death, Jesus is experiencing this, this stress, this anxiety. Jesus speaks of a desire to be, that the fire be lit, but he has to wait. So in reading of the peace verses at the beginning of the sermon, Jesus came to bring peace. Yes, we know that from those verses. He came to bring peace. But peace isn't possible. It can't be one. It can't be a reality unless it, it, peace, can integrate and transform its opposite. Uh, I like how this commentator writes it. Uh, Death and destruction are not defeated by fighting against it, but by including it and taking it within. And after being overcome, 
then new creation is made possible. New creation being made possible. So now we come to the division part, okay? Um, do you think that I've come to bring peace on earth? No! I tell you, but division. From now on, there'll be five in one family divided against each other, three against two, two against three. And the, the list goes on, and it gets, you know, father, son, mother, daughter, and then daughter-in-law and mother-in-law get involved here. It just gets, it just gets worse and worse and worse. It is a breakdown, right? Breakdown of the family. It gets ugly. So with, with this, this division, it's not that Jesus, I, I don't feel that Jesus desires or wants conflict. I don't think uh, that he desires this but I think he sees it as inevitable. It's just going to happen. It's inevitable. Maybe Jesus is preparing his disciples of what's to come, right? A good coach, a good teacher would, hey, you know, later in the season, you're preparing your people for what's to come, right? I think Jesus is doing, he's preparing his disciples for this, this reality. And I just think it's descriptive and not prescriptive. He's describing the times. And actually, we end with that, those verses about the times that they're in. The vision is coming because Jesus has a different vision. Okay? And what is his vision? It's the coming of the kingdom of God. There wouldn't be a division, meaning two, the prefix die, without an original vision of which they were living under. It's true because vision sets a course, it pulls one forward, uh, it invites, vision invites and often demands a change. This then would create a division, a division, okay, for those, so there's the kingdom and patterns of the world, that's a vision to live towards, and there's the kingdom and patterns of God, now we have a division, see, we have a division. The vision of the kingdom of God is in stark contrast with the kingdoms of the world. Rather than valuing the strong and the powerful, the kingdom of God values the poor and the vulnerable. Rather than emphasizing power, it lifts up compassion. Rather than um, coming by force, the kingdom of the world coming by force, it comes in weakness and vulnerability. Thy vision, it's a different vision. It challenges the status quo can make people nervous, even uncomfortable, if you're going to follow this vision of the kingdom of God. Another commentator, Richard Carlson, I just can't improve upon it. Jesus has not come to validate the social realities and values we have constructed. Such social realities and values have a propensity to seek a harmony that favors those who hold positions of power at the expense of those who are powerless and expendable. Jesus is missional agenda of compassion, mercy, and justice shatters such a status quo. Jesus is going to call down fire on earth. It's going to bring division. You can say it, Jesus might say it this way, peace is not the absence of conflict, but peace, the presence of justice. Now, the work of the Messiah is reconciliation. And those who choose to follow Jesus, this is our work as well as Christians, 
as Anabaptists, as Mennonites, the work of reconciliation. But he's saying here, the vision has and will proceed this work. It, it will precede this work, this work of reconciliation. Okay? When radical grace and radical inclusion is present, this will no doubt bring division. Would you like an example from Scripture? Prodigal son. The prodigal son. While he was still a long way off, the father runs to him. Radical grace, radical inclusion brings him home. But what happens next in the story? The vision. The older son and the father. Radical grace, radical inclusion brought division. And I would say even division between the older son and the prodigal as well. There's division. Want another example from church? Radical grace, radical inclusion brings division. Just ask all the churches that have wrestled with this LGBT conversation topic. That's more current. We can go back in history and we can talk about women in leadership and being pastors. And even slave, I mean, just go back. There's division, y'all, right? Inclusion can bring division. So there's a couple sections, right? So that's the first section. And then this next one is like the signs of the times or the present time. And he says that the crowd, this is the crowd he addresses now. When you see a cloud rising in the west, immediately you say, it's going to rain, and it does. And when the south wind blows, you say, it's going to be hot, and it is. His next word is hypocrites. Hypocrites, exclamation mark, hypocrites. You know how to interpret the appearance of the earth and the sky. How is it that you don't know how to interpret the present time? So I think this brings us back to fire and water. Jesus comments about the, uh, the people's ability to, uh, uh, to read the weather signs, patterns, interpret what they mean. Clouds in the west will bring rain. What is that? That's water. Winds from the south, heat, fire. These are signs that represent trouble. Heavy rains from the Mediterranean was a threat. The warm southern wind from the, uh, the uh, Negev desert could raise temperatures by 30 degrees in one hour. This represented danger and trouble ahead. You can see these, but you can't. And these are all happening. You see it's kind of in the future, but what about the here and now? What about now? So Jesus here, um, I don't think he's name-calling. I think he's just calling, he's naming reality. He's not, you know, so hypocrites, you hypocrites. And this is to the crowd. This is to the crowd. You would think that this is reserved just for the Pharisees. It's the crowd. 
um, the Pharisees, um, you know, uh, he, he, calls them, he calls the Pharisees hypocrites early in the chapter, so perhaps that's in mind. But what is worse is the people of God have let themselves be influenced by the Pharisees. Jesus calls them unmarked graves in chapter 11, which the people are walking over and unwittingly are affected by them. I think just Jesus here at this end is just says, wake up. Wake up. Wake up. You're assuming a worldview and a vision that the Pharisees have bought into. You're not able to discern the here and now. You cannot see the vision, this other vision of the kingdom of God. Wake up. And you do well in looking at the weather patterns. But what's happening now? The lectionary stops in 56, but the very next verse in 57, it says, judge for yourselves what is just. Or why don't you judge for yourselves what is right? So, I mean, I, this, I was talking with Miley. Miley hears all my sermons the night before. Let's pray for her. And I'm like, Miley, how do, how do we end this thing? What? <laughs> like, what, what do you do with what do you do with this? It's it's a hard it's a hard teaching. It just it seems anti Jesus, anti what we know, right? And I don't I don't know. So I, <laughs> just maybe a couple questions to consider. I, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Any, anyone else? This is absolutely. I know Randall's probably got some thoughts. <laughs> no, didn't mean to single you out, but yeah, absolutely. Thank you. Yeah. So I don't know. Uh, just a couple of questions to ponder. So Jesus' vision of the kingdom of God, which includes its radical grace, its radical inclusion, does it reveal the vision in or around me? that perhaps is calling me towards transformation. 
something to wrestle with here. It's just a second question here too. Next one. What, what might the Spirit's invitation be for me or us as a church in response to the awareness of division in the world? Yeah, just a couple of questions to consider. And you really had a hard time. Uh, where does this take us? And I think individually we've got to wrestle with it. And then, okay, and then we share in, in community. And yeah, Scott. Mm hmm. 